0: Hi there, this is Darren Hay, and you are listening to The Probiotic Life.
1: This podcast is where we explore the intricate relationships between human health, soil health, and ecological systems. Join me now for another exploratory conversation on The Probiotic Life. Welcome, welcome once again to The Probiotic Life. I'm your host, Ben Klenner. Today on the show we have a fellow named Darren Hay and he is a Perth boy like myself. Uh, But he's not in Perth at the moment. He is over east uh, at the Permaculture Research Institute which is uh, Jeff Lawton's permaculture place at um, Zaytuna Farms. So uh, he is a teacher of natural living and uh, he... Part of the natural living teaching is the philosophies of natural hygiene, of nature cure, and of biogenics. So we talk about these uh, today, but we also talk about, uh, it's connected to nutrition and to the gut um, and basically to the microbiome and how we create the soil within us and without so the soil, um, not only within uh, our gut, but, uh, within our soul, w- within what's going on, uh, in our minds and our hearts. So this is really cool because Darren has a great way of communicating this and tying it all into the probiotic life. Um, and I would say that this is probably one of my favorite interviews so far. Um, there's real wisdom here and I really resonate with it and, and when I, um, when my wife was doing the show notes, she was just like every uh, every couple minutes like stopping being like, whoa, that's cool, that's amazing. So I'm keen to get your feedback on this. Uh, what do you think of this? Um, I'm going to have Darren back on again um, and I think he's going to be starting his own podcast too. It sounds like he's got some great stuff. So I'm really excited about this. I'd love to hear feedback from you about if you like this and if you want to go more in this direction. Um, But without further ado, let's get straight into the episode with Darren Hay. Today on the podcast, we have Darren Hay from Perth, Western Australia, but currently he's at the Permaculture Research Institute in New South Wales. Welcome to the show, Darren. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I heard uh, about you through uh, an acquaintance uh, saying, oh, you should talk to this guy. He's into permaculture and into nutrition and all this sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, we, we connected and um, I'm very interested in what you have to say, Darren. So what's what's your area of
0: interest or your area of studies? Well, it's quite diverse. I mean, I have a background in chemical engineering. I have um, military service. I run my own personal training um, business as well as martial arts academy. Um, I've managed recreation for maximum security prisoners. Um, but along it all, it's really been some type of training for my body in order to make it stronger and, and fitter. And through that, you, you, you realise that you've got to nourish it well and uh, it hasn't always been, um, you know, honestly the best form of nourishment because, let's face it, the, the conventional training that we get when it comes to nutrition uh, has, has really been pushed by corporate lobby groups or big um, food conglomerates that really want to sell industrialised foods and it isn't really much to do with uh, with health at all. So, despite best intentions, you know, my health wasn't always the best. Even though I was uh, fit and strong, internally there was there were always some type of problems. You know, so through a through a journey, I um, I discovered, and I suppose we'll speak about this a little bit further into this. But um, I discovered certain principles or certain philosophies on natural healing, uh, three of them principally, which were nature cure, natural hygiene, and biogenics, the philosophies of which were that the body was self-healing when you align with uh, life conditions, certain life conditions which are regenerative. And so I studied those, and um, from there I became a consultant and teacher Um or lecturer in, in natural living and natural healing. Um, and nutrition is a big part of that. And at some point, you realise that you want the highest quality nutrition and, and how do you get that? Where does it come from? And so, yeah, you buy organic food at the store, but it's actually quite expensive too. So in order to lower your cost, you want to grow it yourself. And in fact, you can grow far more higher quality food yourself because the best food comes fresh from the garden. Mm-hmm. So where does that come from? How do you get that? Well, then, you know, you have to learn the techniques to growing high-quality food. And so you look at the ways and means of doing that, and eventually I found permaculture. And the reason um, I chose permaculture really out of anything else was the fact that it was aligned with sound observational principles of the workings of nature and worked with nature and, um, you know and obeys energy conservation laws which are important if we don't want to you know destroy the environment around us so i realized that that was the the next step you know in order to grow high quality food for myself that um you know really to bring you know close the circle on health and nutrition and you know not only how do we eat it, and what do we eat? But how do we grow it, and 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 why is that important? You know. Right. So, um, yeah, I have a background in. I just completed an apprenticeship under Jeff Lawton, probably world renowned permaculture expert mm-hmm. at Zaytuna Farm here in in the Channon Permaculture Research Institute, and I'm currently still here working with Jeff, and basically looking forward to bringing this information out into the public, you know, to, to a greater degree and bringing it together with with, with health science, true health science and not um, corporate dogma. Right. So so um, when you talk about
1: um, natural hygiene and nature cure yeah. and uh, what was the other one, Bio, biogenics?
0: Biogenics,
1: yeah. What, uh, so those obviously define some sort of discipline, is that right? Yes, yeah. Can, can you explain to our, us
0: a little bit what those mean? Sure. Sure. Nat, natural hygiene was basically, I mean, hygiene is, has to do with cleanliness. So it was a way of being naturally clean because um, a clean body is a healthy body, you know, outside and inside, although we should stipulate that cleanliness isn't sterility. Right. Because sterility means um, it is devoid of life. Whereas cleanliness means um, you have natural, uh, a natural living action, you know, on you, around you, within you, which is actually a prerequisite for health. Mm-hmm. It's your natural defence system. So sterility actually opens you up for a far more worse uh, attack from opportune, opp- you know, opportunistic organisms. So natural hygiene is to be naturally clean inside and outside. And there are certain principles involved in that. Uh, aligning yourself with, with, with natural um, principles, natural conditions, you know, adequate sunlight, adequate, um, you know, healthy air intake, uh, healthy water, clean water, uh, original food. So food as close to its original form as possible, you know, the highest energy potential straight from the sun. You know, balanced emotional and mental states, Um, a a congenial temperature which conserves energy use within your body, Mm. proper rest and recuperation so that you may allow the body to regenerate, a moderate amount of exercise that continually circulates nutrition through the body, pulls waste out of the body and encourages the body to adapt and grow and, and remain strong. And, you know, then there's the cleanliness part too, you know. So, um, and cleanliness is not just, you know, having you know, clean skin, but it's and, – and clean skin is naturally clean skin, so this is actually not using uh, soaps and chemicals on your skin but keeping it naturally clean. Um, and it also involves internal cleanliness. So through techniques such as fasting or through techniques such as eating right foods, uh, not to excess, allowing the body to keep up um, with disposing the waste products of metabolism, making sure those foods don't contain industrial poisons and so forth. And right. together, when you, when, you, when you provide them in, in the right ratios, you have health. Um, you know, there are three basic requirements that a cell needs, energy, nutrient and the removal of waste products to the degree that you allow cell to do that, is if it is effectively immortal, as they have proven. So a nature cure is, in effect, the same. Their view on the fast is slightly different, on how a fast should be used. Um, and biogenics was a term coined by a Romanian professor, Edmund Bordo Zaiki, who was a genius and could speak several different ancient languages. And while... Um, he was granted access to the Vatican Library by his uncle who worked there, the, the archives of the Vatican, and he um, rummaged around through a lot of the scrolls, and apparently the Dead Sea Scrolls were some of the information he had access to. Wow. And so he basically deciphered, you know, because he could speak, he you know, he could um, speak the ancient languages of Sanskrit and Latin, ancient Greek, um, probably Arabic but also Aramaic, um and he was able to decipher a lot of these writings and he, he basically reformulated uh, the teachings of the Essenes and so the Essene brotherhood or community where it was a sacred community they lived very sacredly around the around the Dead Sea area um, in the Middle East and Qumran was an ancient, City that the Essenes lived at, one of theirs, and that's, you know, the the Dead Sea Scrolls were found hidden in caves above Qumran. And they lived a very sacred life, you know, living in accordance with natural law and living off the land. And um, they were dedicated to evolving the evolution of of consciousness. And it is said that Yeshua, um, most people know him as Jesus, was raised as a child in the Essene community there. So, um, Biogenics is based around Essene teachings and living, um, you know, they, they called uh, certain principles of life angels, but, you know, they called them the angel of air and the angel of sun and the angel of, of water, which were living elements that would, you know, when taken in, provided health and life. Mm-hmm. So how to align yourself with those um, beneficial forces, and that was basically biogenics. So so vital forces that provided high life value, um, and that was biogenics. So bio from bios life and genics from genesis to create life. Very so he, interesting. Yeah, he put that philosophy together.
1: So I like that idea of like the angels of air and water. Like if you think about it, well, I mean, we probably haven't, been able to prove yet that, say, water is sentient, but I mean, it obviously has some sort of memory, and it obviously Absolutely. has um, and some
0: sort of energetic um, flow to it. Absolutely, yeah, yep. Um, not only does it have memory, but it we can see through observation that it dies if it isn't allowed to move naturally. And if its natural course is interfered with it, it, it suffers. But um, anyone who wants to look up water and some of the magic of water, um, the fact that it is a living substance, well, it when it's allowed to live, mm. you know, just have to look up the works of Victor Schauberger.
1: Oh, he's one of my heroes along with Nikola Tesla. But Victor, yeah, you know, again, he's one of those people who actually observed was out in nature and, and let nature be his teacher.
0: Mm, exactly. You know, so one of the things that fascinates me from his teachings was that water seeks four degrees Celsius. Um, at that point, it starts to freeze again. Or at that point, it starts to freeze. And so it condenses all the way to four degrees. It's, you know, uh, more condensed and more tightly packed, its molecular structure. So it becomes dense and at four degrees Celsius, Celsius, as it starts to freeze, it actually starts to expand again. So four degrees Celsius is literally, if you look at um, density in terms of information packaging, it's the point of enlightenment of water because it contains the most information density at four degrees Celsius. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and water actually seeks that phase throughout its journey, not only in the hydrological cycle, but also in the atmospheric cycle. It'll go through these 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 um places in nature in its cycle where it reaches four degrees Celsius and then it starts on the return journey and it continually cycles like that, gathering information which is also nutrient and giving it up to life on its on its journey to other life forms.
1: Wow. And and this is mm-hmm. so um complex i know you know if you watch even a documentary about just the hydrological cycle of water how it, how it takes like a thousand years to move around the planet that in itself is complex let alone like the the energy behind it and um all the processes it goes through it's, it's amazing
0: yep yep and you know and, and it behaves in a similar way in, inside our bodies it actually behaves like it is frozen In our bodies, it it takes on a structure as if it is frozen, even though it remains fluid, and it does this to facilitate the passage of energy through our body. You know, so we conduct energy along, um, or you know, signals along our nervous system directly. So it's kind of like a direct line of um, communication along nervous channels or nervous tissue. But then we can conduct energy or information in a wave-like motion through the body just purely on the crystalline structure of water arranged in a, in a, in a matrix in a, in a living system. Mm. So,
1: so how did, how did you get to this point right now? So you're at, you you know, you wanted to learn permaculture, but before that, like, was there anything, um, that you feel is significant in your life that, that really sort of set you on this
0: path? Well, um, I suppose I've never, I was never really happy with the answers I was getting from people around me, from life, you know, the conventional model of seeing the universe. It was very dry, very boring, also very dead, you know. I mean, mm. yeah, there were things, we were alive and the, and, and the animals were alive and plants were alive, but it seemed very pointless and meaningless. And intuitively, I knew that actually there was something more than that. Um, it was a lot more than that, something, you know, more than we were being told. And and so it was, it was just really a personal quest to find meaning and to, um, you know, discover why, you know, why was I even here? You know, why did I – why am I here on this planet? <laughs> you know? Is, that something, and, is um, that
1: something that you were like sort of um, encouraged growing up, like to ask why
0: or – no, 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 not at all. In fact, it was probably the opposite. But as I said, the answers I was getting and or, or even the lack of answers just wasn't – just didn't cut it for me. Right. You know, because you, you – intuitively, you sense that there's something more. You, you know that there's something more. Um. You know, and that, you know, there are certain early life experiences, which I don't think this is the forum to share, but there was enough to awaken me to the fact that there was more. Right. And, um, and you know, I mean, in the Army, in the Army, because um, I, I spent a few years in the Army, I was actually in, in Australian intelligence, even though I was trained in infantry and... Um, it was during the army I had a, quite a nasty motorcycle accident and I had to learn how to walk again. And so it was during rehabilitation I actually transferred into an intelligence cell and out of a rifle company. Uh, sorry, I was still in a rifle company, but I was transferred into the intelligence cell within the rifle company because I was actually intelligence corps. And we had just gone, um, no, the Timor crisis, the East Timor crisis mm-hmm. had arisen at this time. So this was late 90s. Thereabouts, and um, I was I was med class three R, so I was I was not fit to be deployed because I was still convalescing and recuperating from having a smashed pelvis and various other broken bones. Oh wow! So I was transferred into the intelligence section, and I had to prepare battalion um, briefings. So we, would ha- we had Intel streams coming in from brigade headquarters and we had the newspapers. And, you know, I didn't have high security clearance, but um, it was enough for me to see that um, the information we would receive through our internal streams was different to what you would get in a newspaper. Right. And at the, at the time I thought that was good obviously, because I was a soldier and you wanted your fellow soldiers to be safe and protected. But it was the first time for me that I actually got to see that what was actually true or what was officially happening or, or really happening was different than what we're actually being told. And I got to see how easily information could be manipulated. Mm-hmm. Um, so the information we received in the newspapers wasn't necessarily, you know, was, was different, altered, Partially true and sometimes sometimes even outrightly false
2: mm.
0: and so I realized, well hey you know someone's changing this information, someone has the ability to change this information. this information isn't necessarily real, and so that was my first taste of that, and so as um, I recovered from a motorcycle accident and started to rehabilitate myself. My body was chronically toxic, chronically fatigued, you know, recovering from the accident, my party lifestyle, pushing my body so hard to recover, not not letting up on it. And my health really broke down. And it was there, looking for answers, that I discovered natural hygiene, biogenics and and nature cure Um, through a man who I took on as my mentor, Dr John Fielder of the Academy of Natural Living, who's based in far north Queensland. And so I started to, to, to learn under him and train under him, and I've been doing so ever since. So I've been learning that you know, for almost 20 years now, you know for about 17, 18 years, and putting those principles into practice. But in on that journey, I was learning, I was getting the accounts of the history of the medical profession and the history of the pharmaceutical industry. Mm from doctors and scientists and you know people who actually knew the truth of what was going on and when you start to see that I'd already had a I already had my eyes open to the fact that things weren't necessarily true you know just from seeing those accounts in the newspaper through and and, and you know the differences in intelligence streams in the army and so here I was receiving accounts from different scientists and doctors giving me a true history of the medical profession and the true history of the dragging practice and how these things came about, and, um, and you start to see a different picture of the world, one yeah. that is actually very different to the corporate propaganda that we're fed, and you start to also see, you know, you find, you find out a few sinister agendas, mostly there to make profit and also there to keep control, and you just, I just, you just keep going down the rabbit hole, and that's basically what I've been doing is going down the rabbit hole further and further, mm. uh, you know, and you, and you keep looking at the truth behind things, because truth ultimately is my highest value, you know, and, and, and in, in looking for meaning. And in order to have truth, you have to have awareness. So you've actually got to be prepared to face some difficult things.
2: Mm.
0: And um, so that was quite pivotal. And as I just kept looking, you just start to see that there, is, there are agendas being pushed that aren't based in truth. And um, most of those are the reasons we have problems in our civilization, in our civil societies and cultures today, and they're not necessarily always based on sinister motives. Quite often, it's just profit, and through profit, then comes prejudice to defend your product or to bury information that is contrary to you making a profit, yeah, and that well, ultimately
1: results in harm. It's it's um, interesting. I was just having this conversation the other day about you know, your ego, it's like, it's, it is actually really hard to let go of your ego, especially if it's tied to, um, what you do or, you know, your wealth or something like that. Um, yep. having a, a change in con- consciousness, sometimes the only way it happens as, as it did for me was sort of through a, a, a forced, um, awakening yep. through something like an accident or whatever.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that was, yeah, that was a huge turning point for me. And, A lot of suffering, but um, I wouldn't change it for the world,
2: Mm.
0: you know, because it it forced me to ask better quality questions like, why was I there, you know? How did I create that situation for myself? You know, on the journey of awareness, um, which involves being in truth, um, how was I responsible for that? Mm. And so that starts your awakening because you're prepared then to actually – receive answers, you know, you you prepared them to actually see see the truth. And then you can make positive change. And that's self-actualization, which is actually again, you know, another one of my highest values is self-actualization, particularly in the area of health. Because um, you know, I don't want to leave that to somebody else. I mean who else knows your body better than you do? No one should know your body better than you do. And most people Get around not knowing their bodies at all and willfully ignoring its signs. Yeah, that's why we have that's why we have chronic health crisis and mental illness.
1: It's it's really interesting, you know. Um, I've definitely pushed my body really hard and um, ignored it, taken all sorts of substances and stuff just to try and uh, numb emotional pain, but it also numbs your yeah. your body as well. Um, exactly. But coming back to um, you know, sort of one of my, my passions is to inspire people to get out into nature. And for me, nature is actually mostly in my garden. You know, I, I love going for hikes and stuff, but at the moment where I'm at in my life is just going out, having a look at how leaves are growing or, or what an insects are around and letting it actually talk to me, let it let uh, try and be open to learn lessons from what's happening around me. So, yeah. I'd be interested to know what sort of lessons you've learnt specifically from nature.
0: Well, I suppose the the biggest things for me. Well, one was that nature provides everything that we need. If it didn't, um, why? How could we be here? How could mm-hmm. any of this exist? Mm-hmm. And the other thing was that. You see, I I see life as a continuum, uh, just like I see consciousness as a continuum, and it's kind of like compartmentalised within each being, but each being is still a part of that continuum, and within that continuum there's also different strata. So life is actually working for us if we just think about what life is means, you know, it's not working against us. If life actually was working against us or wanted to work against us or for even one moment turned against us, then we would be dead. Mm. So life actually seeks always to perfect, to evolve, to preserve, you know, the, um, the action of its own energies, you know, in whatever system, in whatever being it indwells. So it's always seeking to to adapt and evolve and grow and um, reach a higher pinnacle of its expression. And so if it's working for us, then better to understand why it's doing something and how it does it so that we could work with it. Uh, And rather than waste precious life energy you know, in, 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 in working against life, which can only be to our detriment. I mean, if you work against life, you know, what's opposite to life? Well, it's death.
2: Mm.
0: So working against life and against living forces in your body and in nature can only be to your detriment. Mm. So learning that was a, um, was a, a revelation in itself or, or rediscovering that was kind of like a relief because you think, well, that, well, that makes complete sense. And so, on one level, it gives you a certain amount of security to know that, okay, well, there is this power or force that surrounds everything, that is in everything, and is is working in our favour and for our benefit. And if we can just understand its wisdom and work with it, then we give ourselves the maximum benefit and the maximum opportunity to grow and evolve and be well mentally, emotionally. But... It also reveals to you then also in that moment those parts of you which are in fear of life and distrustful of life. And so there also starts your journey of deep mental, emotional healing to remove the distortions within you that would see life as um, an antagonist to your goals, dreams, and desires. Mm, very interesting. You know, so they that was quite pivotal. Um so that that, in a broad sense, and then learning how to surrender to uh, life processes within you, so that it could do its work of regeneration, and it could do its work of of healing. So, so, so what, what does that
1: mean? Surrender to life
0: purposes. So, um, life has a way of doing things, just like water. Water to to remain energized, it must move in three planes, so it it spins laterally, like it eddies, you know, laterally. It it vortexes longitudinally, you know, so down the centre of a stream it forms a vortex, and then it also rolls in the forward plane. So it spins in three planes, and it does this in order to remain alive, Mm. and then through that, through temperature differential, it laminates, it structures itself in the course of its flow, and it laminates its flow in order to carry um, different nutrient streams and deposit them somewhere along its system where they're needed. So it could be a riverbank; it could be to certain, um, you know, certain fish species might access that strata within the river, you know, and and gain and gain those nutrients. It will um, deposit them at certain bends and you know in the river for certain other aquatic life. And what have you? It also moves the same way in our bloodstream. You know, it vortexes through our bloodstream. So, in understanding that life moves a certain way and as it moves across the landscape, it 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 you know, a river if you could look at its natural course and the movement of its natural course over millennia and play it back in fast forward, you would see it, it um, moves across the landscape like a snake because it's alive, it's a living thing and it does this as part of its living motion. And so when we take a living watercourse like that and we think, well, we want to build a housing development here now so we can't have this watercourse flooding the banks, you know, busting its banks. We can't have it moving backwards and forth across this, this broad expanse of land because we want to build houses here. So let's build a concrete culvert or channel, will concrete the sides so it can't, uh, you know, to make the sides quite high, and so it's not going to be able to move. And we will make it in a nice straight line. It's nice and easy. We'll have a straight line. We'll be able to put some fences on the other side of it and have these borders, you know, these boundaries for these houses. So it's all convenient for us. But you kill the watercourse. The watercourse becomes polluted. It builds up with waste and toxin. It gets silted up and it no longer serves its function. It dies. So when you understand that that's what water needs to do to survive, then you, rather than working against it, you try and work with it. Also knowing that water seeks four degrees Celsius, we have cleared our fields um, of vegetation or mass commercial monocultural crops. And water doesn't like the sun. It actually, because it's, you know, the sun's quite warm, it's quite hot. So it retreats away from the sun in order to maintain it, if it can, it's point of enlightenment, 4 degrees C. It's seeking 4 degrees Celsius. So it retreats from the surface. So our groundwater literally disappears and it goes down deeper and deeper into into the, into the earth and then it will reach geothermal energies. So it also reaches quite, quite warm temperatures down there. And so it actually retreats again from that, from that warmth and raises back up to the surface. As it does so... It actually passes through the you know the ancient salt pans buried in the ground and raises that salt to the surface as it comes back up seeking four degrees Celsius so it brings the, the saline you know water and all the salts back up to the surface, hits the sun again and then it retreats back down again, never to be seen you know so we've um, in, in destroying the vegetative cover we've actually also destroyed the water table and, and created salinity because. We don't understand the behaviour of water, but Victor Schauberger goes into all of this stuff. Mm. Um, In the same way, when you denude a stream bank of vegetation, because water seeks four degrees Celsius, a covered stream bank actually contains the positive temperature gradient which water requires, and so nutrients are taken out of the stream and into the stream bank to charge and um, feed a forest. But when we denude the street bank of vegetation, now the stream bank heats up and is hotter than the stream itself. So now you have nutrients and water moving out of the stream bank and out of the surrounding land into the stream and filling the stream up with too much nutrient and silts and all the other pesticides and organophosphates and stuff that we use. And the stream becomes toxic and polluted and and overgrown with algae and and dies. So we influence the way energy moves um, simply by being ignorant of the living process. And this is just water alone. And so if we also understand that life always works in our favour, you know, life must balance all activity within our bodies. It has to do this. Uh, Otherwise, we wouldn't survive. So it's always seeking homeostasis, a point of balance, an optimum point of catabolism and anabolism, of nutrient in and waste product out, you know, balancing the electrolytes, um, pH, you know, acid and alkaline states in the body so that the living battery can function. So it's always seeking homeostasis. So if life is seeking homeostasis, because let's face it, if it wanted to kill you, it it could just simply withdraw it's consent to keep you well, hmm. if I can put it that way, and you just drop dead. I mean, with the billions and billions, if not trillions, of living processes that are happening every single moment in your body, and it would be trillions, every single moment in your body, because there are something like you know 100 trillion cells in your body, 90 trillion of which are bacteria. This is moving in the direction that we want to move. But if you consider that there are 90 trillion um, bacterial cells in your body and 10 trillion human cells in your body, all of them working symbiotically, you don't have conscious control over those, and how could you? So life is actually working to keep things in balance and keep things working in your favour. Because if it wanted to kill you, it would just kill you. you just drop dead. It just doesn't have to work for you anymore. So every action in your body by life is right action. It's right action. So it's working in order to perfect function or restore damaged function, you know, regenerate damaged tissue. And these are the symptoms that we feel. The symptoms are messages from the domain of life in your body that something is out of balance, that something is awry. And so rather than looking at those symptoms and following those back to cause and correcting the cause, we palliate the symptoms. We suppress the symptoms, which means we actually interfere with the body's attempts to restore homeostasis.
1: Which means we pretty much can't know what's going on in our bodies.
0: Yeah, we not only can we not know what's going on in our bodies, but we um, we have actually thwarted its attempts to make us well, and so we actually drive ourselves in the opposite direction. We drive ourselves into um, a state of disease. And ultimately, chronic disease, because the body is never allowed to regenerate. And what is the, you know, the end result of um, repeated attempts or failed attempts to try and heal itself? Well, it's disease. It's chronic disease. Mm. And tissue structures break down. Tissue structures can't clean themselves. They can't run a process of detoxification because we interfere with it. Because in in nature, the cleaners, the transformers, are bacteria. The microbes, the soil life, they are nature's grand cleaners, detoxifiers, transformers. You know That is ground zero for life and health. Mm. And just as it, that is the same in the soil in which we grow our foods, it is the same in the soil of our bodies, which exists in our digestive tract and which exists um, basically in all the cell beds of every tissue structure of our body. That plasma, that substrate, which all the cells are bathed in, is basically the soil of our bodies. Um, but not before um, everything passes through, or most things pass through, you know, the natural composting system of our digestive tract.
1: It's it's really interesting, Darren, um, that you talk about this. I was just listening to a talk last night uh, by a German doctor, um, Julia Enders. She wrote a book um, called Gut. And uh, she was talking about how our guts actually, uh, small intestines, uh, like are very clean. They want to clean themselves, but we don't give it an opportunity or we misinterpret it. You know, we hear our, our, our gut grumbling and we think, oh, there's something wrong. Well, no, it's actually just cleaning it. Like you're saying, it's life wants to create life and. If we think of ourselves separate from life, separate from nature around us, then that seems like there's a bit of a problem there, isn't
0: it? Yeah, well, we, we actually set ourselves against nature. I mean, this is our whole modus operandi is that we fear nature, we fear life, and so we attack it, we seek to control it, dominate it, bring it under you know, our control when in actual fact the end result of that is, is poisoning and fatigue, or innovation, or degeneration.
2: Mm.
0: You know, the end result is basically exhaustion.
1: So, how how do we come back into alignment? So, so you you've learnt these disciplines. Um, uh, well, it seems like you've had a lot of different experiences, so I'd yeah. like to know what. How do you see us coming back into alignment with working with nature?
0: Okay. So we have to understand that there is the nature within us. There is the nature outside of us. And then there is our own nature. <laughs> so there's almost like three different aspects to it. So there is the life around us which, which we interface with on a daily basis or not. I mean, we do, in effect, even if we live in cities, we still have to breathe the air. You know, we still need to drink water, although the air is toxic and the water is toxic, you know, and we still need ground underneath our feet in order to walk, you know, but that ground is, you know, could be toxic too mm. or dangerous. You know, we, we spend our time separated from the electromagnetic shield that the earth provides for us if we walked barefoot. So in many ways we have in, the, in, in our seeking a technocratic solution to many things. We have separated ourselves from actually the, many of the life-giving processes. And I'm not saying we don't um, need technology, you know, because we, I don't think we're meant to go back to live as primitives in the jungle, you know, in grass huts. Although doing that for a period of time, I think, could be beneficial. I, I think we need the best of technology that is environmentally responsible and earth-friendly uh, that frees humanity. You know that's the type of technology that we need, mm. but that also obeys uh, natural law. The 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 most significant of which is the law of the conservation of energy. We can't push life beyond its ability to recuperate, or we end up, or it dies. We kill it, just like we kill ourselves. You know, we push ourselves beyond our ability to recuperate and that's that's the end. Well, it's the end of our body, let's say it this way, because as I said before, consciousness is a continuum. Energy can be neither created nor destroyed. It simply changes form. Mm. So bringing ourselves back into alignment with the natural world, working with it rather than against it, understanding that it's the source of our nourishment. And so if we pollute our nourishment, we pollute ourselves. If we destroy its ability to nourish us, then we're ultimately destroying ourselves. So we have to understand that we're not separate to that world around us, to the nature around us. We're not separate. Um, and then there's a the nature within us. So as life operates in the world around us, so it also operates within us, for us. So getting familiar with the laws of its operation within us and rather than, rather than trying to stymie its action, you know, Learning what it's telling us, and 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 working with it, so we can self actualize health, and not be dependent on suppressive pharmaceuticals, which are actually poisons. You know, to try and control the body's attempts to restore homeostasis, simply because they're uncomfortable for us, or because we fear life, we fear those attempts for the body to rebalance us, and and in our ignorance, we um, thwart those attempts. So. So learning how to listen to your body, re-naturalising re your relationship to your own senses, particularly the sense of taste, which in a wild animal functions impeccably. You know, an animal will, will see its prey, you know, or see its food, you know, because a um, bonobo monkey, you know, its prey is a piece of fruit. You know, So it sees it, has stereoscopic colour vision you know, we have stereoscopic colour vision so we can see the different colours of fruits. Um, and so we can select them with our vision. They will, they will look nice. And then we'll smell it. So it'll smell nice. It'll smell appetising. And then we'll take a taste of it and then it will taste appetising. If it fails any one of those tests, you'll never let it inside the domain of your body. Mm. And they are the primary tests. But what we have done with our artifice is um, we have modified foods so that the natural flavors are almost non existent. You know, we, we dose them up with salts and fats and um, sugars. And it completely deranges what's known as the Ali aesthetic taste sense, Ali from alimentary, which is to do with your food, and aesthetic, which is to do with beauty. So the beauty of the taste of your food which is not only the way the food tastes, but it's also the way it feels in your mouth, which if your body wants it, if life within your body wants it, it will taste good and it will feel good in your mouth. And at the point at which it no longer wants it, it will no longer taste good, it will start to taste bland and it will no longer feel as good in your mouth. And so at that point, that's the signal to stop eating. And to do that well, the foods must be natural. They must basically be in their natural state from nature. For every step it undergoes from that natural state, you start to derange that relationship it has with your senses, you know, and particularly more so when you cook it and particularly more so when you start to fractionate it and and you take out different parts of it so that it will have a longer shelf life and then you start to put in artificial parts of it, artificial components to preserve it. Know, or it's laced with pesticides and all that type of stuff, which actually goes in and damages your own gut microbial population, which mm-hmm. inhibits your own ability to extract nutrition. So all of these things derange that normal relationship. And so we, what we do then is we start to eat foods in error. We start to eat the wrong foods and we start to eat foods um, in poor combinations and or we overeat foods simply because we have lost touch with that feedback mechanism in our body which says this is wrong or this is not This is not health-conducing or this is um, even poisonous. You know, your body will tell you all of those things, but people have learned not to listen, to ignore it, and then suppress it when it does speak loudly enough. So, you know, re-naturalising yourself to your senses in in that respect um, and taking the journey of self-discovery uh, the journey of self-healing is allowing the body to undergo detoxification, which is often uncomfortable. But on the other side of that, you are far more functional, far healthier, far more alert, far more awakened than when your tissues were obstructed with poisons and a build-up of metabolic wastes and, you know, undigested or partially digested foodstuffs and and what have you. Mm. You know, you'd you'd be a lot more alert. You can just see children who have undergone a natural periodical healing crisis as we all do because that's what life does when it needs to. And those children are always far more bright-eyed than the children who have been treated with antibiotics or suppressed with other kinds of medications,
1: you know. Very interesting,
0: yeah. Yeah. So um, I say really in, in, in the journey of self-healing, there are three things you need. One is a willingness to be in truth. You must be willing to face the truth. You know, No self-deception because you can't heal if you're going to deceive yourself. Um, the second is that you must take absolute responsibility for that journey because there's no one else. There's no one else. You have to take that responsibility for that journey. Yes, someone else can advise you and give you advice, but you're the one that has to make the decision and you're the one that has to act on it. So you have to inform yourself enough so that you are prepared to take the next step and take responsibility for that step um, because it's your life. And the third is that you must surrender um, to the prerogative of life within you. You know, life is an intelligence and just the same as, you know, you can't command it to leave your body, you can't command it to enter your body, it does through lawful universal, natural, lawful processes beyond the control of the egoic mind, you know, and just as well. Otherwise, we do ourselves great harm or other people. Mm -hmm. So it has its own laws, and you must surrender to the operation of those laws, you know, perhaps not knowing initially, but you must surrender in the faith that it is working for you. And as you take that journey of faith, you will prove it one step after the other Exactly how beneficent um, the laws of life are, and the the force of life is, and um, once you prove that within yourself, you know unequivocally through through the result of your own journey, you'll never look upon this world the same again, and you'll really do everything in your power to to align yourself with it, because that. That is your that is the means of your unfoldment.
1: Mm. This is uh really resonating with me. I'm sure it's resonating with a lot of our listeners as well. Um, you know, there's there's a there's a lot of truth in there. I, I feel challenged in um in some things mostly like, you know, the the uh the way I spend my time, you know. Yeah um but I mean, it can relate to health. It can relate to nutrition. It can relate to all all aspects of health. Um, you've given you've given us so much wisdom here, and I really appreciate that. What is your What is your um, message that you really want to share with the world? Is it
0: this, or is it is it um, is there more than that? Um. Well the mind and body aren't separate. So there is a continuum of life, there is a continuum of consciousness, as above, so below, as within, so without. As your body is, so is your mind, as your mind is, so is your body. So, you know, your body is a holofractographic representation of the mind field, your mind field. Mm. So your body contains the wisdom of your mind and it will it will it will tell you the truth of the contents of your own consciousness. All illness and injury is either the spirit and mind attempting to heal the body or the spirit and body attempting to heal the mind. That was a quote from a guy called Leonard Orr who, um, you know, travelled the world looking for um, long-lived yogis and bringing back their techniques of um, purification. And he discovered a technique which he called rebirthing, which was based on a certain breathing technique. But that was um, one of his quotes. Or, illness and injury is either the spirit and mind attempting to heal the body or the spirit and body attempting to heal the mind. Mm. You know, and even E equals MC squared, you know, energy is congruent with mass or matter. You know, how much energy is required to give the illusion of mass or matter? You know, so um, energy becomes matter or mass, and mass um, dissolves back into energy again. So it's like. If you also look at yogic literature, you'll see how the various fields of your consciousness, various subtle bodies, are arranged basically exactly like the musical scale. Um, There is a congruence between sound and the arrangement of sound and layers of consciousness. So to know that you are more than just a physical body, that you are also a, a series of subtle bodies, to know that your mind affects your body and to work to bring them into congruence, to use, use that knowledge to awaken and to unfold yourself into self actualization or self-knowledge and to understand that, you know, in accordance with the law of the conservation of energy, which is nothing is lost, Energy can be neither created nor destroyed. It simply changes form. So all you're doing is transforming energy, and you can either transform it in your benefit or you can transform it um, to your detriment. So I don't know how many people will be aware of pleomorphism. But pleomorphism is basically many forms, pleo being many and morphism being form, whereas we've been given the monomorphic theory of germ disease, which is bacteria have one form, they cause a disease, you kill the bacteria, you cure the disease. Uh, and, it's, and it's not quite true because basically the bacteria are the last thing to show up in any disease process, They're the last thing. The disease process is already well and truly on its way before the bacteria show up and they just show up to um, transform the various compounds that can't otherwise be transformed through normal enzymic action in the body's processes. And so they transform those substances into simple ones and pass them out through exudates often through blisters and sores and ulcers and various other unsightly and possibly painful you know, outlets in the body mm. that people are terrified of. They're terrified that they're going to die when in actual fact all their body is doing is cleaning house. And so we attack those things. And not only do we leave the body more toxic, we actually set the stage for a more virulent outbreak of organisms because you can't kill them. Energy can be neither created nor destroyed. It simply changes form. They have many forms and they take their form accordance, in accordance with the soil. Right, Louis Pasteur admitted it on his deathbed. He said, the germ is nothing. The terrain is everything. Everything. Right. And so were the others. So Jonas Salk said the same. Albert Sabin said the same. Um, Edward Jenner said the same. Some of the earliest proponents of vaccination, but they all said it's a fraud. You know, the terrain is everything, the germ mm-hmm. is nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, because unless you change the conditions for the expression of life within you, you are not going to change a thing. And if you continually create toxic conditions, in your body or in the world around you then life will transform itself to adapt to those toxic conditions and it's not going to be as harmonious as it is now you know life must effectively devolve into a more robust form to deal with the more toxic conditions and they normally it's normally more pathogenic for us you know so we attack the body with uh, with antibiotics and antibiotics to control infection when the infection is just the cleaning house of the body. And so in so doing, we make the body more toxic. And so each subsequent infection must become more virulent, more pathogenic, more robust, because life is simply trying to survive and trying to do what it does best, which is transform simple, uh, complex compounds into simpler ones so they can rejoin the circle of life and, and, and revivify life back up the food chain. That's all it's trying to do. And we just keep interfering. So you can't kill them. They actually retreat back into a spore form which is practically indestructible and they wait for the right conditions and the right moments to reform themselves into a new body which is adapted to the new conditions and then proliferate to transform those conditions. So there is no other way other than to return to a harmonious uh, relationship with nature and cleaning the environment Your internal environment and the external environment so that the organisms, the microorganisms that, you know, we are 90% microorganisms, foreign DNA, we are 90% bacterial DNA that live symbiotically with us. So if they were against us, we wouldn't be alive. And when we try and poison bacteria within our body, when we take antibiotics, we are actually killing 90% of the population. This, you know, up to 90% of the population of our cells that are actually working to keep us alive. So it's just insane, and that's why after antibiotics, people always get sicker. Mm-hmm. They get more sick, um, and they they open themselves up to worse infection. You know, because it's, it's, it's a law of pleomorphism, that's the truth. You can look up the work of Gunther von Enderlein. Uh, the first was Pierre Jacques' Antoine Béchamp, uh, a fantastic book called um, Pasteur or Béchamp, was it Béchamp or Pasteur? one of those, by Ethel Douglas Hume. And it talks about the, the fraud of Louis Pasteur and, and the scientific history of Béchamp and how he demonstrated pleomorphism. And then you can, you know, look up Gunther von Enderlein and Gaston Nason's and Royal Rife and their work on a fundamental unit of life which is smaller than the cell and which builds cells in accordance with the conditions in which that life finds itself. You know, um, called a microzyma. They were called endobions or protots, you know, in um, various different names. Mm. But they were basically um, a spore form of life which would build cells based on the conditions in which those um, life forms live. Why? Because form is function, and so building a cell in accordance to you know with a certain form provides a certain function, which is the breakdown of compounds in nature into simpler ones, so they can be fed to higher forms of life. That's the purpose. You know, 50%, at least 50% of the Earth's biomass are bacteria. So we're waging a war on bacteria and, and, and you know, in complete ignorance. And instead of working with them and trying to make conditions more harmonious for life through removing of poisons and toxins and wastes and all that type of stuff, you know, we're actually trying to kill bacteria with poisons and various other means and actually making the conditions worse for us. And in, in effect... All we're going to end up doing is annihilating higher life forms that can't survive in those conditions. Guess what will survive? The bacteria, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And eventually, higher higher life forms will adapt and evolve and emerge and, and emerge out again. But you know, we're doing ourselves a great disservice.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, this to me this connects a whole bunch of um, of of ideas around what I'm you know, sort of naming the probiotic life. There's lots of different other yep. ways you can name that. Um, yep. And I was talking to someone the other day um, about, you know, the probiotic life could become a, a meme and just be another thing that people, oh, that's a nice idea. But um, like what you're talking about is actually connecting it. I <laughs> always feel like we need to do another session so we can <laughs> delve deep more, um, deeper into it. Absolutely, anytime. But, um, you know... So what you've explained now has really helps me understand why you've uh, followed um, the permaculture route. But do you want to just share a little bit about that before we finish up?
0: Yeah, well, you know, you you want high-quality food. And, and again, it's, you know, bacteria, you know, it's the soil food web, as they call it. But the soil food food web not only exists in the soil outside of you, it's in the soil within you. You know, and just as they – you know, in the soil of your garden, they help retain nutrients, they make nu- nutrients available to the plants, they suppress disease on the plants, they decompose toxins that are coming in from the environment, you know, even pesticides and herbicides, and they build the soil structure you know, to hold water and to hold those nutrients. So they do the same in your body. And so um, you know, if you wanna grow high quality food, we must pay attention to the biology of the soil. So permaculture is a complete design science that um, supports basically the growing of food. A lot of people think permaculture is just about growing veggies. And ultimately the end result is that you want to grow food. But it's all the systems and processes that support the growing of that food. You know, from the design of the land, the capturing of water, you know, the layout of the land, you know, taking into account wind factors, climatic factors, fire dangers, you know, proper placement of structures. You know where do these different systems get placed and located on your on your on your property to take advantage of the, the the boundaries that that connect and where there's an exchange of nutrient and energy and information flow across those boundaries so how to design that in a way which which minimizes external input but takes advantage of the intrinsic power which is life you know so so designing in accordance with the law of the conservation of energy and, and taking advantage of that And so permaculture um, really shows you how to bring all those systems together to feed the biology of the soil so that you can grow high-quality food because we're doing it here. We get food out and we never, ever apply any pesticides, herbicides, fungicides or toxins and you get food. Sometimes you do better than others, but it's always a continual evolution of building that soil you're always building the soil. You're always building the soil. And that way, you're guaranteeing a better return each time. Mm. And um, and you do the same within you. I mean, those organisms in the soil actually live within your body. You know, They've already proven multiple different organism strains that are in the soil and in our bodies at the same time. And that benefit immunity, They benefit serotonin production, that um, help detoxify our bodies you know that produce natural antibiotics and help with nutrient assimilation you know they populate our guts so just and just like you feed the soil by building a good compost you know you build a good compost in your digestive tract by feeding your body correctly and so there's a congruence there between the life of our soil and the life of our bodies because the life in that soil enters our bodies by the food that we eat when we don't process it you know, when we keep it as natural as possible. So there's this whole cycle of life there which only improves, you know, health. You know, if, just to touch on esoterics, the the physical mind, the seat of the physical mind, when you look at the subtle energy anatomy through yogic literature of our bodies is actually the gut. Right. And modern science actually verifies that the majority of our neurotransmitters that our mind uses and compounds that our mind uses are produced in the gut mm. and are sent to the brain. So healthy brain functioning. So the, the health of your conscious mind and your ability to think clearly and powerfully actually comes from the health of your gut. So as you feed yourself, so are the fruits of your mind. Wow.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I, th- I think that's a good one to, to um, land on. You know, that's uh, – um, a lot of wisdom there, and, and like I said, love to get you back on. But we'll we'll finish up there for today, Darren. No thank you so much for uh, joining us on the
0: Probiotic Life. Been a pleasure, Ben. And we'll do it again sometime. Thank you. Love to.
1: So many gold nuggets there. I for one will definitely be listening to this again, and we will have Darren on again for sure. I definitely resonated with what he was saying. But I'd be interested to know what your thoughts are. What did you think about this specific episode? Um, And I'd love for you to be part of the conversation. You know, um, as far as I can track, there's almost 6,000 subscribers to this podcast now. And I'm in the process of monetizing it to, you know, get advertising going. Because the reason is because I want to devote myself to this full time. But I want it to be more than just another podcast, more than um, a little entrepreneurial business. You know, I want to know what you want because I want to be able to serve you. I want you to be part of this. Your voice actually matters. It matters to me. And it matters to the people around you. You have an opportunity to support this project by giving feedback. And that is actually valuable. You are valuable. I want to be able to serve you better. To do that, I need to know what you want, to know what you need. I want to know what you're learning about. I want to know what you want to learn about. So... That's where my head's at on this, and I'd love for you to be a part of it. You know how to contact me, and if you're listening to this all the way to the end, you must be more than a little interested. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and until next time, cheers.
0: Thank you for listening to The Probiotic Life. You can find us on Facebook at The Probiotic Life on Instagram, The
1: Probiotic Life, and on our website, theprobiotic.life.